Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Well, I want to talk to you today. First of all, let me do just a real quick review. About three Sundays ago, I preached a message and taught you about the baptism of Jesus and how that it was the initiation to Jesus's ministry on earth. And how he chose to initiate his ministry on earth was to do this act of baptism. And uh, I don't, won't go into all of it and preach the whole message again, but let me just jump ahead a little bit. Baptism is and represents the immersion into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus was saying, he was making his thesis statement on the earth, and he was saying, this is what I have come to do. I have come to baptize you into my death, that the old man dies. The old man of sin passes away. The man that was, well, that was birthed in Adam dies and is buried. But then the glory of it all is a new man is raised, right? Jesus stepped out of the grave on the Easter Sunday, stepped out of the grave, raised to life. And the Bible says that his resurrection becomes our resurrection, that we are raised with newness of life. So Jesus shows us all of this at the very beginning of his ministry through the baptism by John, his death being put in the water, his burial being under the water and his resurrection coming out of the water. Then what happens immediately after Jesus comes out of the water? The dove comes from heaven and rests upon Jesus. The dove is the Holy Spirit, comes and rests upon Jesus. Then it says that the skies opened up and you heard the Father's voice come from heaven and say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased that the most important thing, the thing the father wanted everybody to know was not, this is the Messiah that has come to save you from your sins. He didn't announce that. He didn't say, if you need healing, this is the guy to come and see. He didn't announce that. He didn't announce any of those things. The most important thing, the thing he wanted everybody there to know, the very first thing that the father says about the son to the community, to the world, is that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what I want to tell you today is that the most important thing about you is not your scorecard whether or not you're doing everything right or not. It's not whether or not you're living exactly how you're supposed to. The most important thing about you is that you are his beloved son and daughter, and he is well pleased with you. Amen? You are beloved. Man, we've got it. I'm, I'm going to preach that for the rest of my life. So get, so, so get ready for a lot of review because that's, I believe, one of the most important things that we can grasp is our identity because it changes absolutely everything. When we realize that we're not just some, some feeble sinner saved by grace, hanging onto a thread, to the, the thread of Jesus' hymn to try to ride it to heaven. No, you are a son and daughter of the living God. You are righteous. You are holy, as righteous and as holy as Jesus is. You are a co-heir with the Christ. Amen. That is your identity. That is who you are. Amen. Amen. Maybe I should just preach on that this morning. I'm not going to, but I should. That's fun. You are the beloved. What I want to talk to you about today is the dove. 
descending upon Jesus and resting upon him. I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit and focus on that fact that when we go through death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 that we receive the guarantee of our inheritance the first fruits of our inheritance when we have Jesus come and live inside of us and we begin living for Jesus, the, one of the first things that happens is the dove descends and we get to receive the helper, the, the great comforter of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk to you about that today. You know, in three days, or three, not three days, three Sundays, June 5th, we're going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday, the day uh, that represents the day in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came into the room like a rushing mighty wind. And that the, those who were in the room, the 120 in the room, were baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire. And that says, clothed tongues as a fire rest upon them. And that the gift, we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit leading up to Pentecost here. And so today I'm going to really do a lot of introduction on who is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? So what's, that's the question this morning. Who is the Holy Spirit? Are you all ready? Yes. Here we go. I'm going to talk fast. All right. I've got just a little bit of time here. Who is the Holy Spirit? First John chapter five, verse seven says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the father, the word, who is Jesus and the spirit. And these three are one. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And these three are one. The first thing I want you to know about the Holy Spirit is that he is a member and a part of the Trinity. Okay? He is a member of the Godhead. He is equal to the Father and the Son. You know, a lot of times I think we either... Uh, we either think this in our minds or we subconsciously think that the Holy Spirit is like some kind of weird force of God, right? That he's just some kind of uh, this, this kind of thing that floats in the air that God uses to, uh, as a tool almost to accomplish things. That is not who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a member of the Godhead. You all remember the word perichoresis that we use. Perichoresis is a term that the early church, I believe it was in like the third or fourth century, when they were trying to figure out how to describe the Trinity, how to describe the Godhead, they came up with this word perichoresis, which I, I could go into all of that, but it simply means the circle dance. It's, it's that, the, it's that they, they are mutually entwined with one another. They are braided together. So much so they, they are the three-strand cord braided together and they act as one together. That the Holy Spirit is not some tool God uses. The Holy Spirit is part of that holy relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He's not some mystical being floating out in space. He's a person, a part of the Godhead, part of the Holy Trinity. Trinity. Amen. He is part of the circle dance with God. Spoiler alert, we're a part of that as well, but I'm not going into that this morning either. Thank you, Jesus. He is a part of the perichoresis of the Trinity, the mutual indwelling. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, perfectly describes the role 
of the Trinity in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the word made flesh, and that he of his fullness gives grace for grace, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, that it was the love of God, because God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. So the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That the main function of the Holy Spirit is communion. The main function of the Holy Spirit is communion. The word communion is the Greek word Koino, koino, I can't ever speak Greek. Why is that? I try so hard. <laughs> Koin, koinonia. That's how you say it. Koinonia. So the Greek word for communion is koinonia. It literally means partnership, fellowship, joint participation, intimacy, and taking of responsibility. The Holy Spirit his main function and his main job is to partner with us. I like to think of it, I would like to think of it like this. This is how I, I want to imagine it. I want to imagine it like those Olympic rowers, right? Who are so in sync with each other that they're individual, right? They're individual, but they're in the same boat and they're moving simultaneously together, rowing, using their force their forces added together to produce power, to row, to gain speed, to win the race. That's how I'd like to imagine it. Now, that's probably not how it is. <laughs> it's probably more like my six-year-old daughter sitting on my lap wanting to drive the car down the road, right? My feet are on the gas and the brakes for safety, right? <laughs> and I let her grab the wheel and together we drive the car, right? She drives the wheel, but every now and then I've got to reach up and grab the wheel to make sure we're not going to run into a brick wall, right? I imagine, see, I'd like to imagine that the Holy Spirit and I move together like the rowers, but in reality, it's probably more like I'm sitting on his lap and every now and then he's got to grab the wheel, right? Jesus, take the wheel and make sure I don't run into a brick wall. That his job, his main function is to commune with us that he partners with us, that it's a joint participation. Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't completely take over you. It's you and him together communing in partnership with one another. That, that he, it's your personality and his person. That's why all of us preachers don't sound alike. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, and helps preach the word through us. He doesn't come and take completely over. He allows our personalities. Which is why I stumble all over my... Whenever it's good, that's the Holy Spirit, right? Whenever I'm trying to pronounce a Greek word and mess it up every single time, that's me, right? <laughs> it's joint participation. That the Holy Spirit doesn't completely overtake you. But the Holy Spirit grabs one side of the wheel. And you grab the other side of the wheel. And together, through joint participation... You drive the vehicle and he comes alongside of you in joint participation. So here's what it looks like. That when you go and lay your hands on somebody to pray 
It's not just you that's laying your hands on them and praying. It's your hand and the hand of the Holy Spirit laying your hands on them. That when you are raising your kids, you're not doing it alone. That is joint participation with the communion of the Holy Spirit. That you are raising your kids with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That when you are going through college, when you're going through high school, that you can go through those things with the participation and the help of the Holy Spirit, the communion of the Holy Spirit. When you are going through a tough season, a hard and difficult time, you are not alone. You have the communion of the Holy Spirit with you, joint participation, that he's got, you're sitting on his lap and, and he's letting you have the wheel, but he's also helping you steer and telling you where to go and how to do things, that it's the participation of the Holy Spirit, the communion, the joint participation of the Holy Spirit, amen? amen. In Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 26, it says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Listen, he makes sure that we don't slam into a brick wall. That he helps us in our weakness. Look at it this way. John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. says, nevertheless, this is Jesus speaking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I tell you this truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine being a disciple who is looking into the eyes of Jesus? And him tell you that, listen, it's actually better for you that I not be here. I think I'd look back at Jesus and go, I don't think so. <laughs> now you can't go, but Jesus is looking at him and he's saying, it's actually better that I leave. Because he says that if I go, do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. He will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Listen, the Holy Spirit makes sure that we don't slam into a brick wall. He makes sure that we stay on the right path. One way he does this, the scripture tells us, is that he convicts. Other translations say that he exposes sin. That word sin there is the Greek word, this one I know, because it's easy, hamartia. It's the Greek word hamartia. When you look at the root words of how they get this word hamartia, you have the first word ha, which is a negative connotation. It's a negative word. It means, it means without. Um, it means, yeah, it's a negative word that means without. So the word ha means without. And then the word meros the other root word in this word hamartia means portion or form. So the word for sin literally means to be without portion or form, meaning that it gives the idea of a distortion or a distorted identity. So when you fall into sin, sin is is yes, sin is, it can be a, something that happens, a, something that you do, but it's not just a flaw or a mess up. Sin is actually a distortion of your identity. When Adam fell in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't, their sin wasn't just the act they committed. Their part of the sin was that they stepped out of their intended identity of who they were in Christ. 
So sin is not just an action. Sin is stepping out of your identity and who you are. Who are you? We already just talked about it. You are the sons and daughters of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are holy and without blame. And when you step out of that identity, when you step into sin, when you have a sin crisis, it's stepping out of your intended identity of who you are. And what happens is what the Bible tells us here is that what the Holy Spirit does is he comes in and he exposes that sin. So what does that mean? It means he comes in and he says, wait, 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 wait. That's not who you are. That you are acting out of your character. You are acting out of your intended design. That the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not guilt that he's laying upon you to try to push you back into living righteous and living holy. That the Holy Spirit is actually, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is him saying this, you are acting this way and it is out of your character. It is not who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and you are stepping out of that identity identity and he exposes sin. He keeps you on the path. He grabs the wheel and he says, no, 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 no. That's the wrong direction for you. That is not who you are. But here's the other thing. He also exposes righteousness. He convicts the world of righteousness. Righteousness is another fun Greek word that I'm probably going to mess up. It's the word dikaiosune is the word for righteousness. The literal translation for righteousness, this word dikaiosune, is the state of him as he ought to be. The state of him as he ought to be. So not only does the Holy Spirit come along and say, this is not who you are, the Holy Spirit also comes along and says, this is who you are. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes and he says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that comes along and says, you are the beloved of God. It's the Holy Spirit that comes along and tells us who we are, our identity in Christ, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He tells you who you ought to be. Amen. That is his job. That is the Holy Spirit's job. That it's the Holy Spirit's job, yes, to expose sin and tell us who we're not supposed to be. But he also comes along and convinces us and tells us who we are supposed to be. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I, I think it's in John. I think it's somewhere. It's either John or 1 John. It says that the Holy Spirit comes and he tells, actually, no, it's in Romans. It's in Romans chapter 8, I believe. It says that the Holy Spirit comes and whispers in our ear. He tells us that, and he, he what's, how does it phrase it? I think I might even have it written down up here, but it phrases it. And he says, he says the Holy Spirit comes and convinces us and tells us to cry out, Abba, Father. That it's the Holy Spirit that connects with our spirit that tells us that we are not just sinners saved by grace, but that we are sons and daughters of God. And his spirit comes along to our spirit and convinces us and tells us that he is our father. Amen? Amen. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You might say, oh wait, no, here we go. Let's look at this. Let's look at it this way. The communion of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 16. 
He says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That word helper, you've heard this Greek word before. That word helper there is the word perikletos, perikletos or paraclete. And it literally means counselor, comforter, advocate, encourager, intercessor, helper. Are you ready to get nerdy with me again? When you break down the word paraclete, it comes from two root words. The word peric, which means to finish, end, or to save. And the word latia, which means the curse. You ready for this? This is fun. So it's the Holy Spirit that comes along and tells us the curse is broken. The curse is broken. He whispers in our ear over and over again. He's the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, the encourager, the intercessor. How does he do that? He whispers in our ear over and over again. The curse is broken. The curse is broken. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are whole. You are blessed. You are loved. And you are favored. That he whispers over and over again. The curse has been broken. You might say, yeah, but I still struggle with sin. And the Holy Spirit comes along and he says, the curse has been broken. You may say, I feel insignificant. And he comes along as the great comforter and whispers in our ear, oh yeah, you may feel broken, but listen, the curse has been broken. You may still have sickness in your body, but he comes along and he says, the curse has been broken. You may feel unworthy. He comes along and whispers in your ear, the curse has been broken. The part of the Holy Spirit's job as the paraclete is to remind us over and over and over again that the work of the cross is finished, that the curse has been broken, that you are no longer slaves, but you are sons and daughters of God. Amen? Amen. The curse has been broken. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that descended like a dove on Jesus. And this is the Holy Spirit that descends on us, the inheritance, the guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee of our inheritance. I'm going to stop there this morning. Go ahead and just stand with me. If you have accepted Jesus in your heart, I want to tell you this morning that you are not living this life alone. That you have someone dwelling on the inside of you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and it says that he never left. That he is in us. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. That he is in us. You have a partner on the inside of you that helps you through life, everything in your life, good times and bad times, big things and little things. You have a helper, an advocate. And I also want to tell you this morning 
that Holy Spirit coming is coming and reminding us this morning that the curse is broken. The curse is broken. The curse is broken. Let that sink into your heart this morning. The curse is broken. You are not flawed, but you are righteous. You are not a sinner hanging on by a thread, but you are holy. That you are not barely scratching your way to get to heaven, but you have actually earned the right as a son and a daughter of God. And the Bible tells which we're, we're going to get into more later on this, in this coming series, that his inheritance, that you are co-heirs with Christ. Ephesians 1 tells us where we are seated. It says that we are actually seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That you are not clawing your way to get to heaven, but you actually are sitting with Jesus in heavenly places. The curse has been broken. God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the person of the Holy Spirit that comes and resides in each and every person, each and every believer. God, that we do not have to go through this life alone, that we do not have to fight and claw to earn our way to heaven, but God, we have, a, have an advocate, a helper, an encourager that lives on the inside of us. God, I pray that you'd give us the grace to constantly access the person of the Holy Spirit. God, that you would give us ears to hear that voice on the inside of us, of the person of the Holy Spirit that convicts us, that exposes sin on the inside of us, and that also exposes righteousness on the inside of us. God, I pray for the grace to access the person of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we'd begin to become more familiar and become more acquainted of the paraclete living on the inside of us, the helper living on the inside of us. God, that he is communing with us. Lord, teach us how to commune with him, Jesus, and how to walk through this life with the helper, with the one who comes in and, and we get to walk through this life, joint together, joined together. We honor you today, Jesus. We love you so much. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.